Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Conspiracy. This episode was written by Tracy Torme and Robert Sabaroff and directed by Cliff Bowl. It first aired on May 7th, 1988. For today's check-in, let's talk about conspiracies and conspiracy theories. You know, I heard something, Ruthie. What did you hear? I think the world should know about okay. this. I found it on the internet, the secret piece of information that only this YouTuber knows. Tell me. And I need to get it out to the world. To the world. You know, I'm so sick of conspiracy theories, to be honest. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know. I just think they're very... Like, I've got... Okay, so in my in my closet, if you ever look at my closet, it's just stacks of nerdy t-shirts. Right. This is probably not a, a surprise to you. <laughs> and some of my ni- <laughs> some of my nerdy t-shirts are like X-Files shirts. Right. And they'd say things like, trust no one. And like, the truth is out there. And it was like fun and goofy. Yeah. And now it's just gotten like dangerous and scary and the thoughts of conspiracy theorists and theories are killing people. It's literally people are dying over misinformation. Yeah. And it makes me very sad. How do you feel about conspiracies? I feel like there are some conspiracy theories that are, I don't know, maybe like fun and perhaps relatively harmless. Like like the idea of like Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster, that <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. A friend of mine got me a, a birthday card. Uh, recently and it said uh it said believe in yourself even if no one else does and it had it had bigfoot yeah yeah like that's but but i i also feel i don't know i think the slippery slope argument is not is can sometimes be like a disingenuous argument but i i do feel like some conspiracy theories are kind of like a opening into more dangerous ones oh definitely yeah. like i i remember someone talking about the moon landing and like going through all of this like evidence to show that to say that it was like faked and this person didn't actually i don't think didn't i don't think this person actually believed that it was fake but they just liked it as a fun conspiracy theory and i was like okay but like i feel like that opens up like a when you start picking things apart in ways that actually don't make sense, that I feel like that leaves you vulnerable to to doing that in more dangerous ways. And then and it's like then yeah. you're, you're kind of sowing distrust in a way that. OK, but here's my other thing that I, I feel really conflicted about. The language that conspiracy theorists use is the kind of thing that I think people need to do. You need to think critically about information that is presented to you. You shouldn't just trust something because the government says it's the case, you know? Don't be a sheeple. Like, right? But but I think that <laughs> that's real. But also, don't just trust something because one internet site said it was the case, you know? Right, yeah. That's not that's not effective or thorough research either. Yeah. It's, and you're right because... That is a part that I, I think is frustrating if you're looking at at sort of people who have have joined these conspiracy theory masses and, you know, ended up in doing things like marching in anti-vaccination protests or <laughs> storming the Capitol building. There's one element or one aspect where you're like, oh, I wish that you could be allies toward other movements that are challenging power 
but challenging power in the correct way. Yeah. You know, and challenging the right power. Because right now what's happening instead is that rather than uh, challenging power in a way that – or being critical of power in a way that actually helps society and is working toward justice, it ends up instead making people more vulnerable, less trusting of each other, and eroding democracy further. And you're like, no, like – Yes, I get it. You're frustrated with the powers that be. But rather than going like, so let's go critique capitalism. Instead, they're like, let's go destroy science. Yeah. You know, and you're like, wait a second. What? 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 Where did you go left here when you could have gone right? Like, yeah. what happened? And so I I have to interact with a number of people like this on a fairly regular <laughs> basis. In one of my workplaces, which is our local honey producer, I think it it overlaps with like a health and wellness community. Yes. And there are elements of that community that are like anti-vax, anti-science, and we'll have people come by the store and complain about having to wear a mask, having to get vaccinated, mm-hmm. and thinking that we're going to be immediately on board with them. Like they they think that we're re- like a, a receptive ear right. <laughs> coming in. with, And so they're kind of surprised when I'm like, no, like, like, dude, you should really go get vaccinated. Right. And then likewise, in my other location where I work at the, the Planetarium and Space Center here, you do get people that come in and, and do want to like talk about space-related conspiracy theories mm-hmm. like the moon landing conspiracy and stuff like that. But if I can make one generalization yeah. toward trying to break down – and this is probably an oversimplification, but I think it's a good place to start, is I think that at their heart, all conspiracies are kind of part of the one grand previous misunderstanding or conspiracy of the universe. And that was that Earth was at the center of the universe. Mm. Because I feel like at the heart of all conspiracies essentially is is ego. It's that I'm in the know, I know better, and society is either for me or is entirely against me but ultimately i'm always at the center of the story hmm. you know what i mean like and th- and i think that's where some of the attack on science comes from is that people feel like science is an attack on their on their ego structure and like on their identity uh, carl sagan calls it the great demotions mm. of science you know at first we were we were god's special creation at the center of the universe and then the nat narrative was replaced by science that said, oh, actually, we're not at the center of the solar system. And, oh, the solar system isn't at the center of the galaxy. And, oh, the galaxy actually isn't at the center of the universe. Right. We're not really at the center of anything. And when you look at things like flat Earth conspiracy, essentially at the heart of that is like Earth is special. It's this constructed thing for humanity. Or a lot of uh, the dialogue around the vaccines is like my immune system is good enough i don't need the vaccination right you know or that the government is lying to me or wants to track me specifically and you're like but why like why why, what do you do that the government wants to follow you right Right. like that so i i think that a lot of it like i'm always listening for the uncritical part in these conspiracy theories which is that the the conspiracy theorist is somehow the hero Mm -hmm. right and that's that's i think something that that we need to all be aware of because there is not really any room for ego in science. At least there's not supposed to be. That's not how it works. It's it's a collective community of people trying to check each other's ego in order to come to a consensus around truth. Yeah. And I think that's the other part is that people don't really understand how science works. Yes. That is true. Sorry, that was that was a long rant. But I've been sitting on this stuff for a while because it, <laughs> I have to deal with it like almost every other day. So it's... It's And it makes me so sad because, again, I think people – like you were saying that the vocabulary they're using, the sentiment 
could be they could be allies in in fighting for actual justice, but instead get so sidelined by all of this nonsense. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was thinking is that you know, maybe if we lived in a perfect world, science would be this really wonderful field where there is no ego like you said, but but science is produced by humans. And humans are, like, very fallible. And they bring their own biases and ego to the work that they do. You know? Like, okay, so for example, the medical field. We should be able to trust it. But historically, it has been a racist field. It has been a homophobic field. It has been a transphobic field. It has been a fat phobic field. It has been a sexist field. So it's understandable why someone like, like for example, uh, issues like chronic pain or migraines, things like that, that tend to affect people who are um, less privileged or powerful in in this society at least um those tend to be taken a lot less seriously or historically have been taken a lot less seriously so it makes sense that people would look for something else an alternative kind of medicine mm-hmm. i think like that makes sense hopefully those alternatives are still using the scientific method right and and i think that's where we get into these like problems of the kind of snake oil sort of thing where it's like, well... Well, sure, because, yes, because people take advantage of that mistrust to, in order to then push a product or a narrative or agenda. And, and it's like, and yeah, and I, I agree with what you're saying. I think what, what's happened is that it's that those those blind spots in science are created not by the scientific method itself. No. But by the racism yes. or sexism that per- prevented the diversity of scientists that otherwise would be represented yes, or be able to participate exactly. in science. And so, so science needs to be opened up, not shunned. Yes. And the other thing, and this I'll, I want to give credit, um, an episode of a podcast that I listened to not long ago. The podcast is called uh, Maintenance Phase. And I haven't listened to, um, I haven't listened, it's not a podcast I listen to like all the time. So I, I haven't listened to all the episodes, but I listened to an episode called the wellness to QAnon pipeline. Oh, I, I, um, yes, yes. I've, I've been reading stuff about this. Yeah, yeah. So it's like people who are very involved in like the wellness movement, which is not a scientific movement by any means, but that, that, that no? sort of <laughs> ends up as a gateway to, to becoming a QAnon believer. And sure. Yeah. But one of the things they talked about with this issue with, you know, science or medicine often historically having been created or performed by people who were racist, sexist, homophobic, what you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. So what they were saying was that this whole problem with with science, uh, you know, being a, a racist or sexist institution because of the racism of the people doing the science like the, that. It's not a conspiracy. It's not like there are all all of these doctors meet in a secret room and they're like here here's how we're going to the science you know, building with their science yeah but like here's here's how we're gonna marginalize these people further that's not how it that's not how it works it's not a conspiracy it's just right. unchecked bias and i would say that like a, a lot of the people who kind of go into these conspiracy theories 
have that same privilege and that same unchecked bias that scientists have historically <laughs> yeah. had. So there it's like it's like no no you actually can trust. Like that's one of the things I've I I remember hearing someone else say and I think it's fairly accurate like one of the ways that we know that vaccine the vaccines are probably like quite safe is that white American rich white Americans were like giving them to themselves first. Oh yeah, then clamoring clamoring to get them even though at the same time some of those same people might have been online or on the news touting other conspiracy theories. Right. Ironically. But they didn't send them to, you know, marginalized communities first saying like let's right, test these test. out. Yeah. So it they're yeah. probably pretty safe then. Right? So it's like mm-hmm. the, like you as a white straight cis person, you probably can trust science more than and and uh and medicine more than most people can. This is an important part I think for me as a science communicator and and working at a place that does science communication. Talking about the conclusions of science is always easy and exciting, you know, to, to talk about, oh, the, the new black hole that was discovered right. or the planet that might have water or, or, or other stellar phenomenon that's really exciting. But then if someone is kind of distrusts the process or they're unfamiliar with the process, that is going to spark more suspicion because there's always the question, well, how do you know that? How do you know? Yeah. And so um, we're trying to focus more on methodology, which is also interesting. Like, it's really quite amazing Mm -hmm. that we've discovered how to find the things that we found or make the things we're making. Like, there's huge misunderstanding around the mRNA vaccine and how it works. You know, you're seeing things online about like, oh, genetic engineering, genetic manipulation. You're like, no, it doesn't alter your DNA. Right. That's not how it works. Right. And so it's kind of like trying to understand how we know what we know and how we do what we do. And I think when people f- find that out, I've found that it softens that suspicion because people are like, oh, okay, now I know how the science works. Now I know how you're so certain of your discovery or your conclusion. Again, and even tiny things like we've said in previous episodes, that distinction between like hypothesis and theory. Right. You know, people understanding how theory is arrived at. It's not people, all the scientists getting together in the science building saying what science is going to be. That's not how it yeah. works, right? It's it's this diffuse group of people that have to check each other's results and methodology. And and so it's, yeah, it's sort of pulled back that curtain a little bit and, and engaging people. And that's one of the great things is that at the same time now, you have more open access to participating in science in through like citizen science. Right. Uh, even something as simple as being able to, like people can go online now and literally look through telescope data to help discover planets, right. like on your own. You could do that in on the internet. Like it's... That's incredible. And so at the same time, it's sort of sad that although science is probably more participatory now than ever, I think maybe there's a lag time yeah. where the past impacts of of poorly done science and poorly represented science is k- kind of catching up to us. Those things might be related in that if science is more participatory now, people are able to see some of the problems that happened when science was only done by a very privileged few and so they can so so they're perhaps this distrust perhaps i hope this is optimism (laughs) perhaps this distrust of science will lead to a further trust but we have to go through this distrust while people see like oh these scientists were not all-knowing beings you know yes but it it comes back again to that like where from where do you proceed from? Right. If it's still coming from like a place of ego and and the ego of that individual, yes. well, I can do science better than scientists, then 
no, it's not going to get no. any better. But if it's if it comes from that place of like wonder and discovery and and at the risk of learning that you're still not like a special creature at the center of the universe, yeah. then I think it's fine. But it it depends on what the motivations are. And that isn't to say that life isn't like important and wonderful and awesome. Yeah, you know, I try I try to make that distinction. Yeah. As well in the planetarium, like, yeah, we're not at the center of the universe, but it doesn't mean that life isn't amazing. It doesn't mean that it, you're still not this being that's inherently still connected to, like, the fabric of space and time over billions of years of evolution. Yeah. And I think that one thing that maybe that makes me a little bit hopeful about this is that it's something that I've seen in teaching and, like, certainly with little kids when they start to learn something new, they they can sometimes act like it, it from the outside it can look like they're unlearning things so like they're not able to count for example like i remember this happened with a a cousin of mine who was really really little i think they were like 3 or 4 and they were really good at counting and then they stopped being able to count as well or like they they would only count on certain fingers and they and it was kind of like what is like the all of the adults were like that's so weird like you used to be able to count now you can't and but then a little like a couple minutes later i think the kids started figuring out addition and started being like okay so 2 and 1 that makes 3 and and so it was like it it looked like there was a block in this thing that they had been able to do and i've also seen it with even with older kids where it's like when you start to learn something new that can be really uncomfortable because it makes you kind of question everything you knew before. And so that can be sort of like, like, no, I don't want to learn this new thing. But once you're able to get past that discomfort, your mind can be a lot more open. So hopefully these people who are coming at it, because I, I 100% think you're right that a lot of it has to do with that idea of like, what do you mean? Me personally, I am not at the center of the universe. Yeah. But hopefully we're going through maybe societally that discomfort phase and then we can end up on the other side of it. I hope. I don't know if that's going to happen. What I love about science is that it, whether it's through biology or cosmology or it, it always reaffirms our interconnectedness to one another, like to the ecology, the environment, to society. And I think there is that tension here that yeah. we're seeing now especially around things like vaccine resistance it's like i don't uh, people are spinning it where it's like oh this is this is your way of now forcing me out of society yeah and they're like no no no. this is our way of ensuring that society continues yeah <laughs> yeah know? and so it's like no um but it's like turning the story around and making it about themselves right you know that's actually that you kind of blew my mind a little bit with that idea that it all comes down to the original I don't even know if this is the original conspiracy, but like the original misunderstanding of how the, the universe works, which is that we're at the center of it. Well, if that if that narrative holds true, then who's in the cradle of power? Yeah. And I think I now, again, part of my background here is I'm I'm an ex-evangelical. Right. right. So I was a part of that. I was tied into that community. Right? So I'm trying to draw from those experiences to, to form this idea. But I think right now is like the church is used to being in the driver's seat. Yeah. For a lot of like major decisions. And so if, in my opinion, this is this might be its own conspiracy theory. I don't think so. But <laughs> like, like what we see happening in British Columbia right now is like there is there were protests uh, outside of of 
hospitals. Like people were blocking yeah. ambulances being able to get into hospitals be- over vaccine records and stuff like that. And, and it was awful, awful, awful. But also you saw Texas basically overthrow Roe v. Wade yes. um, a few weeks yep. ago. And I don't think those two things are dissimilar yeah. from each other or they're, they're interconnected because – Here's what I think. Like the church has been so used to being able to say, here's who you can get, who's here's who you can marry, who here's who you can I see church in a broad yeah. sense, not all yeah. churches, but I like from religious like a religious yeah. tone. Uh who you can marry, here's how you have to plan your family, here's who gets to belong and who doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, Yeah, like you have that influence. And especially in the United States, that influence is very strong. But then all of a sudden, something happens, a global pandemic, and we're like, okay, wait a second. We really need to put science in the driver's seat right now. It has to be making the societal choices and decisions in the moment because that's what's going to keep us alive. And I think some people were just really not cool with that. And in some ways, this might be us try to swing back the pendulum of power in the other direction. Science can't tell us what to do. We're going to jump back into faith. Yeah. And and this is what faith says we need to do. And let's grasp power and and make a charge back and forward. And I think I think some people are just feeling... Like their privileged state of power and authority is being really challenged right now by science coming into the driver's seat and saying, no, we got to put science in charge right now in order for us to survive. Yeah. And I would say that that whole thing that you just said, you started off a little bit saying maybe this is its own conspiracy theory. But I think what makes that different from a conspiracy theory is that you're not claiming that this is all part of some grand plan. This is people grasping at what they can and it, yeah, several people are grasping at a similar thing and they're they're grabbing on to, you know, whatever they can get like a foothold in. And this is in, in this episode, that episode of Maintenance Phase where they talk about like QAnon, it's not like an organized movement in the same, it, it's got all these different sort of groups of people that are kind of latching on to the same thing, but they're not all being pushed by like a unified force. So it right. to me yeah. that's not a conspiracy theory because you're coming up with what what might be an explanation as to why these people are acting this way but you're not like you know these people are like what QAnon says which is like oh it's and then there are these codes and you can like determine that they're all connected like you're yeah to me what you said is different right. from a conspiracy theory for that reason it's a it's an idea but not a it's a hypothesis but not a conspiracy yeah. And this is one of the powers of science, and I try to explain this to people who think that it is a weakness. It's like, well, scientists are always changing their minds. Like they're learning something and then they change their minds. And I'm like, that is a good thing. That's a good thing because it means that there is a comfort and an embracing of discomfort. In this case, the discomfort of saying, I don't actually know. Because when, and I think this is, this is another result of privilege in a way. And we, we were seeing this, I'm, I'm thinking back to a sign that I saw during uh, Black Lives Matters protests uh, in Vancouver. And there was a, someone was walking around with a sign that said, deprioritize white comfort. Yes, yes. Right? And I think what happens is that in when you're in a privileged place of society, you can conflate discomfort with unsafety. Yeah. And those two things are not the same. And if you're in a really privileged state, you can conflate discomfort with evil Mm -hmm. and i think that's what happens it's like okay well i feel uncomfortable with the ways the world is working there's something scary going on and if you add like sort of a religious twist to that they're like this must be spiritual warfare yeah or this is the devil or this is where it's like no you could just deal with like a healthy dose of like understanding structures and institutions and injustice it's not 
There's not some spooky people meeting in a room, like eating children, like yeah. QAnon was saying. And they're like, yeah, but the the uh, the elites are doing this and the elites are doing that. And I'm like, yeah, elites do have power. That is true. And that the wielding of that power is unjust. But it's routed in what's plainly visible in the injustices yeah. of the world. It's not going on behind a building or inside of a building or in a basement or anything like that. It's just, it's like clearly obvious and it's within the structures of capitalism. Yeah. But I think we're always told capitalism is supposed to be good. So it must be something else that's happening. But people can sense something's wrong. And I, I think that, I think part of the appeal is that there's something hidden. And I know about it. Right. Elites have all of this power. We can see that. But that's not the interesting one. The, the power imbalances that we can see are not nearly as, as I guess, like intriguing to to explore than the ones that are hidden from us. Because they've been normalized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When something is made yeah. plain, it's not as fun, I guess. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. And you can't. And it, 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 there is a fun component to it as well, because... Um, similar in the vein you're talking about, I read a, a fascinating article. I should find it. Maybe put it in the link. Um, but it was how someone saw the gamification of QAnon. Right. It was like when the Q drops come and then people get to go down these rabbit holes and everything. They're like, it's written like an RPG. Mm. And and you get to be the protagonist in that RPG, finding the clues, getting that dopamine hit when you're like, oh, I found a connection between things. Like, you know, everything else. It's it's fun to get wrapped up in that narrative and feel like you're making yeah. discoveries and that you're smart and learning stuff. And in the end, you've just been fed all these breadcrumbs. Yeah. Down a rabbit and hole, again, but, you're at yeah. the center of it. And you're at the center yeah. of it, right? It, that it speaks to you as a, as a protagonist. They're all, you all get to be a protagonist, yeah. right? But, well, that was a half hour check-in. Whoa, that's okay. Because <laughs> we, I talked about this episode like six months ago, and I was like, "Oh, leading up to conspiracy, Ruthie, yeah. I'm gonna have things to say yeah, about this." Yeah, yeah. So, so thank you for the catharsis. No, there's a that. lot. I mean, the conspiracy in this one is a little different. It is, however, they, as we'll see, before they just jump into stuff, they're all like, "Okay, hey, let's find actual evidence, yes. and let's get the one unbiased person who has no ego at all yep. to do the yep, research." Yeah, it's true. If only we yep. all had one unbiased friend who could give us some objective truth. <laughs> Are you saying, Ruthie, that what we really need is to trust data? Oh, my gosh. That is what I'm saying. Boom. 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 All right, Matt, what's this episode about? All right. So in this episode, Picard attends a secret meeting with an old friend and some of Starfleet's finest captains. He starts off skeptical of any possible conspiracies, but soon finds himself embroiled in one. So we open with Commander Riker yeah. making a mission log. The ship is on its way to the ocean world of Pacifica for a scientific that mission. That made me laugh. I love it when, they're, when the worlds are named like Pacifica. Let's name it after one of our oceans. Yeah, but if people live there, they're like, why are we naming it after your yeah. oceans? This is our planet. Yeah, I, I'm away. curious. Of, I mean, is, is Earth not an ocean world? Like, we're mostly water, we're mostly ocean. You know what? I had, I had a, a sharp-witted... Smart young person asked me that question just yesterday oh, in nice. the planetarium. Yeah, yeah. Young, we were talking about the about ocean planets and worlds, and they asked that very question. They're like, "Wouldn't we count as an ocean planet? Like, so much of our surface is covered yeah. in ocean." Yeah, because I'm sure Pacifica yeah. must have some land. I don't know. Unless it's just a ball of it's water, just water, nothing else. That could be possible. That could happen. Just water. <laughs> it's a big water droplet floating big through water space. Droplet. 
Uh, LaForge is telling Data a joke. We only hear the punchline, which is like, and she says, try that in hyperspace. And Data like fully understands the joke. He explains it. He explains why it's funny. He agrees that it's funny. Uh, but I guess it's not really satisfying when someone explains to you why your joke is funny, but doesn't laugh at it. So it's not as satisfying for LaForge. And Data tries to laugh. For the audience, though, that's that's even funnier than the joke. Yeah, no, it's, we get to it's see great Data for us. Try to understand humor. Yeah. yeah, and we see like we see a nice little moment between uh, Riker and Troy because they also find it amusing. And then Riker tells LaForge to speed up a bit so they can get to Pacifica early because they're going there for like a science mission, but but they're all excited to like go swimming. And uh, Troy has to explain to Data because Data's like, oh, you can swim in the holodeck, you know, and, and Troy's like, yeah, but that's not the same. And then we get another instance of Data not understanding idioms, I guess, because he's confused by the term moonlight swim. He's like, you can swim in moonlight. And then Worf doesn't like swimming because it's too much like bathing. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too much like bathing. Who likes? It's just, take, it's just like taking a big bath. That's not fun. Yeah, I guess Worf isn't uh, into bathing. Uh, Data tells Riker that he's receiving a Code 47 message. And they're like, Code 47. And that's for captain's eyes only. So Riker wakes up Picard. I was always wondering, like, why? How are they on opposite duty shifts? You never see that happen. Yeah. But apparently they are. And so Picard's asleep. Can you imagine being woken up by a video call? Yeah, it seems a bit intrusive. And that happens a lot in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Someone just automatically, like, even in Zoom, you get to select if someone's going to start a call on video Video or not. Yeah, it's just like Riker's face in over Picard's bed. And you can only imagine that, like, they, everyone, can everyone on the bridge see Picard in his pajamas? With his open yeah. chest, like yeah, because <laughs> yeah, because when he's talking to him, he looks like Riker looks like from the perspective of still sitting in the captain's chair. So are they all just looking at Picard yeah. in bed on the view screen? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Not uh, not fun, not for me at least. No, there's a message for Picard. It's from an old friend of his. We don't know this old friend, but we're introduced no. to him now, uh, named Walker. And Walker says that there's he's like very. Like he's he's almost like in a panic. This, yeah. this Walker character, he's like wide eyed, and he's talking about how there's there is a risk that something is wrong at the heart of Starfleet, and something was kind of hinted about this with Gregory Quinn, an admiral yes. that we saw come aboard. Um, you know, we had a previous episode a few months ago that we had talked about where the where the captain and the crew were being like interrogated yeah. that there was something wrong and now this is sort of the the sequel to that episode so yeah. walker won't tell picard what's up but he wants to meet at ditalix b immediately and the pacific can, can wait and he tells picard like my one t-shirt said i mentioned earlier trust no one yeah don't tell anyone about this so we get the intro Mm-hmm. And then on the bridge, Picard tells them we're going to Ditalics B, and he don't don't he says don't tell anything to Pacifica. Hopefully, this won't take very long, and don't say anything to anyone off the ship about us about this diversion without me approving it. So we learn that Ditalics B was a mining planet owned by the Ditalics Mining corporation that feels so dystopian of like a a corporation owning a planet a space mining company yeah it's like the first time that we ever get a hint that there are any private owned anything i don't know if this is part of the federation though it may not be 
Uh, yeah, it's it's weird, but it's sort of the mines are not being used anymore. Um, and it's it's one of those planets where like its orbit and its rotation are in sync. So one side always faces the sun. So you've got like a cold side and a hot side and the mines are like in that sliver in the middle where it's temperate, I guess. There are no miners there, no indigenous life. And we get this is a good episode for Data, I think, because he's got yeah. a lot of there's a growth. So he like starts. He's like, it's a lifeless hunk of rock, a useless ball of mud, a worthless chunk. And then Riker's like, no, I, I understand. Thank you. Done. Yeah, I got it. Got it, Data. <laughs> Thank you. They arrive at Ditalix B and there's three starships already in orbit. And one of them is Walker Keel's ship, which is the USS Horatio. The others are the Renegade and the Thomas Paine. And yep. the ships are not answering Worf's hails. And so Picard's like, okay, stop stop trying to communicate because obviously everyone's trying to be like radio silent yeah. and secretive. And there are three forms, three life forms on the planet near the entrance to a mining tunnel. So Picard like turns around and he's like, I'm going to be down to those coordinates. And Riker's like, by yourself? And he's like, by myself, number one. Yeah. And the door's just closed. And he like heads to the transporter. And Riker, Riker like can tell now is not the time to argue about this. Yeah, there's something. This, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Picard materializes on the planet and it's just like this desolate red, yeah. like volcanic wasteland, essentially. Yeah. So he walks into this mining tunnel and you can see everything's in kind of like disrepair. Um, it clearly has not been used. And then three uh, Starfleet captains show up. One of them, is, two of them actually aim their phasers at Picard. And then the third is Walker. And mm -hmm. Walker starts testing Picard. So he asks where they met. And then he says, do you remember introducing Jack Crusher to Beverly? And Picard is like, I didn't introduce them. You did. And Walker says, my brother, my brother introduced them. And Picard's like, you don't have any brothers. You have two sisters. What is yeah. going on? Yeah, so weird. Yeah, and then it's a, it's, it, but it, yeah, it was clearly a test to make sure he was him. And then Walker, Walker Keel is his full name, but he introduces Captain Ricks, who is a, a Bolian, I believe. Uh, we hadn't, we haven't met a Bolian before, but, mm -hmm. but he's not a human. And then. Uh, Captain Trila Scott, who was apparently the fastest person ever to make captain in Starfleet history. So good I guess her. even faster than Kirk, because Kirk was that person like 100 years ago or whatever. But years now ago, the and person. she beat him. There you go. She beat him. Yeah. So they've started to notice weird patterns happening in Starfleet Command. Unusual orders, unexplained evacuations, and then also mysterious deaths. And that kind of gets Picard's attention. He's like, well, what deaths? And they mention a few people that have all died yeah. mysteriously. And he's like, okay. And he didn't even know that they were all dead. They didn't know. So so they're worried that, of course, the Enterprise is, is a you know, powerful ship within Starfleet. Yeah. It represents the power of the, of the Federation. And so that they're worried that the Enterprise is going to be targeted and that people are being changed, that they can't remember things, which is why Walker was asking Picard right. all these questions and that that is the, that's the key. You have to see whether or not they remember anything. Yeah. And that, uh, and that his own first officer and medical officer have been acting differently since their last trip to Earth. Yeah. And so that it's like the medical officer I think is important. This comes up later that if the medical officer is changed, then you can't ask for the medical officer's opinion on if other people have been changed. Yeah. If there's something biological going on then that might be for the person to get maybe yeah. they would get someone yeah so picard doesn't believe any of this like he's skeptical which yeah. is good and he says okay well he's gonna stay alert and stay in touch and 
you know, they, he tells, Walker tells Picard, don't, det- don't talk to anyone about the fact that we've met like this. Yeah. And then Rick's ominously says, Watch your back, Picard. Watch your back, Picard. <laughs> it doesn't sound very friendly. It's not no. like, don't worry, we've got your back. It's no. just like, watch your back. Well, it was also weird because like Picard was walking away from them with his back to them when yeah, Rick like, said watch that. Your back. So it was like, I was I half expected Rick's to like shoot him in the back right then. Yeah, yeah, because it's still <laughs> kind of creepy, the whole thing. Yeah. Picard comes back to the Enterprise and he meets in the ready room with Troy and debriefs with her like what's going on. And this is cool because Troy helps him like parse out all the feelings that he's having because he wants yeah. to check his own biases, especially about the fact that he trusts Walker like implicitly, like him and Jack Crusher and Picard. It was like their their triad; they were inseparable. Yeah, and so he's he's finding it difficult to to digest all this information. Yeah, and Troy actually, she is very skeptical. She's like, they have diso, they've effectively disobeyed Starfleet regulations. They used a secure like a secure channel to contact you and to keep this from Starfleet and took you off of your mission. Like, don't you think you should at least tell the rest of the crew and Picard? doesn't want to and he says he doesn't want to implicate them until he has some solid evidence that something is wrong yeah so he's, he has to protect them as well yeah right so and i mean like think about how the distrust would ripple through the whole ship like if you get everyone if you start talking to them and say like oh starfleet might be compromised or you know starfleet command might be compromised like like that that information needs to stay with key people who can actually make decisions about it yes and i think that's a totally good example of the like the irresponsibility of spreading conspiracy theories among yes people who are vulnerable to them yeah and disinformation because yeah. you might want to say hey i have this important thing i get to i get to talk about it you know but it's like okay that could be damaging especially in that command structure yes so picard orders the ship back to pacifica but then he's like okay let's get someone whose ego and bias won't affect their research yeah and there's the other important part of this a person who has access to all the requisite research that they need to be able to do. Yes. So that's the other important thing. They can have all the pieces to form a coherent story. Yes. And that person is Data. So they get Data to analyze all Starfleet command orders to starships and starbases and colonies for the last six months. So we're probably talking about thousands and thousands of communications. Yes. And, I, you know, this is actually one of the reasons why it can be so difficult to, like, you know, when people are like, I did my own research, it's like, no, you didn't. You looked things up. But there is so much information in the world. No human can do what data is doing right now. In the real world, we are not capable of doing that wor- that exact work, which makes us more vulnerable to conspiracy theories. Yeah, and it's, which is why we have to do it collectively. That's why, yes. you know, science is a body of people. I don't know if you noticed in like the random, because whenever they have data, like study stuff, they just yeah. put like random images that flash in front of them yeah. like really fast. Yeah. And one of the first pictures that comes up is like an owl. And I was like, <laughs> why? I was like, what does it have to do with anything? I was like, why? So I was thinking the whole rest of the time, I was like, why is there a random owl? Is that just like he's going through all the communications? So it's like two friends were like, hey, like look at this owl picture. Ooh. He's got to like go through that as well. I don't know. Maybe. So Crusher enters the bridge. And she asks Picard if he saw Keel, and Picard lies. Picard says, no, we weren't able to to see him. And she's like kind of weirded out by that. She's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, we did meet up with the Horatio. Like, what's going on? Yeah. and it, it, and it, But it does kind of, again, like reinforce the friendship because Picard was like best friends with Jack Crusher, we know. So he was also best friends with Walter Keel. And so she was also a part of that. Yeah. But then like, right there, Worf picks up a disturbance nearby 
And so they go and investigate and they find this giant debris cloud. Yeah. And, you know, they're scanning it, scanning it, scanning it. And then Worf is like, I'm sorry, sir. It's the Horatio. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. They were just with them yeah. and it's destroyed. Yeah. He calls it flotsam. That's such a good word. Yeah. I like it. Uh, and yeah, Picard and Crusher are shocked. You know, their friend has just died. And Picard then, it is interesting, he called, in in his log, it says, like, I have now decided to tell my executive officer what the meeting was about. And at first I thought he was telling the whole bridge crew, like, executive officers. But no, he was just referring to Riker. But he rarely right. refers to him as his XO. It's usually as his first officer. They talk about what the meeting of Ditalix B was about. And he reminds Riker that Quinn, who, you know, they were not fans of when he showed up on the ship and was turning things up down earlier, yeah. warned him about subversion within the Federation. And then Walker also tried, and now he's dead. So yeah. I think Picard now is like, okay, something might be going on. There's something happening. Not sure what exactly. Not going to jump to any conclusions. Riker's skeptical. Riker thinks it's quite possible that the ship, that there was an accident. But then Data... Uh, we we cut to Data and he is doing his scanning of the records and he notices something intriguing and then he starts talking to himself. And it's, again, another funny scene where then he explains to the computer what it means to talk to oneself. Because he's excited about it because it's not a thing that androids usually do or not a thing that he usually does. And the computer's like, no, no, I understand. No worries. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, even the computer's like, yes, Data, I, I get it. I, <laughs> I like this scene because it's showing, like, it's a computer interacting with a computer. Yeah. But one of them has, like, a distinct personality and they show that. Like, it's yeah. actually the, the computer's even a little bit cheeky there itself. But, yeah. um, you know, it's showing the Data is himself a person, yeah. not just a bank of information. And I think that was that was important because he's not just taking all that that information, that data that he's looking at and dumping it into his brain, he's looking at it objectively to come to a conclusion, something that a, an ordinary computer can't do. Yeah, right? he's so analyzing he's, it. He's analyzing it. So he walks in on Riker and Picard having this discussion. And Picard thinks that the ratio was intentionally sabotage and Riker says that he can't be certain and I I think that's good of Riker to yeah, say that like absolutely. we still need to be skeptical. Yeah. Um, but data says that maybe he can be certain because he's found a strange pattern of personnel being shuffled around on certain ships and on star bases, but done covertly. And he uses a, a metaphor. It's like, it's like the left hand of Starfleet didn't know what the right hand is doing. But he yeah. believes that there might be an attempt to control vital sectors of Federation territory. And he actually overlays that information of the, uh, the sum total of all these orders yeah. and how they seem to be changing where personnel are located. It's the sort of thing that I think, and I mean, we see this happening, like you mentioned, uh, Texas. And it's, it's the sort of thing that happens... Uh, I think quite frequently where there are all of these little actions that each of them on their own isn't suspicious, but when you put them all together, you can see a larger pattern. And I mean, to go back to like conspiracy theories, I think that this can be an organized attempt or it can also just be like, oh, this is they're not not like random coincidences, but like all of these people who have similar goals are doing these things. And as as they do these little things all over, say, a country or a federation, they do these little things, it can add up to something very dangerous. 
Oh yeah, I mean, and looking at the at what happened in Texas, like that's not that didn't just happen by accident. No, there's there a lot things- of planning and organization that needs to go to overturning a past law like that, and and also like changing public perception, pushing exactly. like we I think we talked about this like months and months ago, like pushing the Overton window yes. just a little bit to what people think of as reasonable until something dramatic happens that if you look back on time would have been outlandish like though that will never happen that's never gonna happen no and then slowly but surely it's yeah yeah so they decide to go to starfleet headquarters so to fly to earth they want to they're gonna figure out what's going on they're greeted by admiral savar who is vulcan i believe uh admiral aaron and then of course admiral quinn so it's a whole bunch of just like old white dudes that run Starfleet, I guess. Yeah, and they're like vaguely British, not quite British, but almost British, like upper crest accents. Kind of colonial tone going on there a little bit. Um, But Riker wants to discuss the reason that they're there in person because they're like, it's unusual for the flagship to return to Earth. Like, this is just kind of strange. Yeah. Especially because... Picard had mentioned earlier, one of the reasons that they that were, they were kind of unaware of what was going on, mm-hmm. Picard said that the Enterprise has been out on like the outer rim, Yeah, I presume, of the Federation itself. Yeah. Maybe that was intentional. Maybe they wanted Maybe. them like way off there so they didn't they know what was notice. going on. So. Yeah. so it's unusual now that being so far out, they've come back to Earth. Yeah. So, but Picard doesn't want to discuss it over, you know, from the ship. He wants to discuss yeah. it in person and they, they seem a little, the admirals all seem a little like not sure. And then Remick. Uh, Commander Remick from that episode, the guy who was doing all of that investigation, he shows up and whispers in Savar's ear, and then they put Picard on hold. And so, you know, the bridge crew kind of discuss what's going on. Uh, Troy says that she can tell someone is hiding something, but not who or what, which kind of makes sense with what we learn later with that they're all being controlled, that like she can't mm-hmm. pinpoint one of the people. And Worf is also like, I don't like it. I don't trust it. Yeah. And so the admirals take them off hold and they invite Picard and Riker down. They're like, come eat with us. Yeah. But then Quinn says he's not going to be able to join them. And it's a little funny. He's like, I won't be able to join you for dinner, but I do want to see the ship. But the, th- the, the thing that's going to keep him from joining dinner is that he is going to be on the ship. Yeah. Like it's a, he's like I'm I'm sorry I can't make it I'm too busy walking around your ship. <laughs> and then Picard thinks that that means that he is on their side, which yes. I thought was kind of a a poor judgment call on that one. It I believed it. I haven't seen this episode in a long time, and I I was like, oh no, that makes sense that Quinn wants to see them alone. Yeah, it's separately to say <laughs> yeah, but it uh, ends up not being true. No, and so before and we see that immediately afterwards because before beaming up, Quinn has like this little thin engineering case and when he opens it up there is inside like this pink <laughs> a crustacean like, yeah it's a crustacean it's like this little it's basically like a mini lobster looking actually you know what um it's a funny thing just uh, yesterday i also did a rewatch of wrath of khan okay which oh. i hadn't seen in like four years yeah um it looks a lot like the seti eel in wrath of khan oh, like that okay. little thing with like a pincer mouth and yeah and whatever i think though it might be CG or there's like versions of it yes, in this episode that's 100%. CG and some that aren't and it doesn't it doesn't look super great it's no. kind of funny actually no. if, if if they wanted that to look menacing and scary it like it doesn't it's like a pink <laughs> little crab thing it's like it's you're like, like oh. yeah almost like a, a kind of lilac colored I was watching it yeah. before like I have this thing on my computer where it when I you know after a certain time of day it the blue light kind of decreases so it's more of a red cast so when yeah. I 
on one rewatch, I saw it. It was kind of like it was kind of orangey. And then I was looking at it again today. I was like, oh, it's like a nice, a really nice lilac color. But yeah, he he opens he just opens the box and then closes it. And then Remick enters and asks if he's ready to beam up. And it like zooms in on him menacingly. Yeah, he had to look menacing, I was about to say, yeah. And we, yeah. And we don't, it looked like Quinn shut the case quickly before Remick walked in. So we don't know mm. at this point if Remick is in the know or not, because he's just yeah. everyone's lackey, right? So we don't, we don't know if he actually knows anything. Yeah. Back on the Enterprise, Picard says that Quinn seems much better than the last time they saw each other, because Quinn was like really worried about something going on in the Federation. And now he is like very like full of vitality and, and excitement, like he. We talked uh, a couple weeks ago about toxic positivity, and I feel like we're seeing some of that. There's like, oh, I'm great. Everything's wonderful. Yeah. I'm so happy. <laughs> I, I used to be so sad, but now I'm a wonderful. Picard reminds Quinn that that he's like, well, we like last time we were here, you were talking about this like threat to the fabric of the Federation, and Quinn's like, oh, you you took me way too literally. I was only talking about problems and assimilating new races into the Federation, and Picard's like, okay, sure, just kind of like nods it off. Yeah, but. Clearly, that's not what Quinn meant yeah. last time they were hanging out together. So Quinn kind of goes towards his quarters. Yeah. And Picard kind of gestures to Riker to hold up. And he's like, listen, stay on the ship, help Quinn with anything, then come down to Earth for dinner. But like, that is not... That's not Quinn. That's not Quinn. Yeah. There's something going on here. Yeah. yeah. There's a really funny scene where he's like, get Crusher to give to figure out a way to give him like a full physical... And Riker, they kind of argue. Riker's like, how? And he's like, I don't know. Think of something. And Riker's like, he's an admiral. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, how am I going to come up with a reason to do this? Yeah. Like, and I don't know. Figure it out. Picard is like, listen, you're the first officer. I'm the captain. I'm ordering you done. to find a reason. <laughs> yeah. I love when oh. Riker gets exasperated with Picard. Riker wonders about Picard beaming down as well because he's like, you're unarmed and stuff. You can't beam into Starfleet headquarters with a phaser. Yeah. So, you know, Picard says he'll, he will take I'll care. I'll take care. Who knows how, but yeah. he will do it. So they, he beams down and Savar and Aaron and Remick all greet him. And I, I thought it was nice, like Savar and Picard, like Picard gives Savar the, the live long and prosper hand gesture because mm-hmm. Savar is a Vulcan. Yes. And Remick kind of alludes to the last time they met, it was under not great circumstances. Yeah, no, it was not good. Do you think Remick is acting differently here? Or do you think not? Yeah, he seems way too chill. Yeah, yeah. Because Remick was super wound up before. Yeah. And so he just seems like unusually kind of robotic too, and Yeah, calm. in a calm way, yeah. yeah. So, and then on the ship, Riker checks in on Quinn in his quarters and says, Are you ready for your tour of the ship? And Quinn's like, yeah, but first I want to show you this uh, superior life form. And Riker, Riker's kind of confused about this idea of superior because that's, I think people don't, like in Starfleet, people don't usually talk about some life forms as superior yeah. to others. Yeah. So Riker's like, maybe I'll get my science officer to look at it. But the science officer is Data. And Quinn says, no, 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 this 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 life form won't like your your science officer and then grabs Riker and throws him. But Quinn is an old man. Let's just yeah. say that. <laughs> and Riker's got this like look of shock in his face because as soon as he grabs his arm, like Riker's like, "Wow, that's a really strong grip." And he's like, yeah. "Vitamins does wonders or whatever." And then basically just tosses him <laughs> he around. Throws him across the room and then like, can we say crap and keep our? Do we need explicit for crap? I think you can say crap. Yeah, he beats the crap out of Riker. 
like really just like throws him around, punches him. Riker manages to call for security and he does like this jump kick and gets Quinn right in the face and Quinn is totally unfazed. It's like nothing. Doesn't even matter. Yeah. He eventually... Unfaced? Unfaced? No. <laughs> no, he's still faced. His face is still there. <laughs> yeah, his face is still there. Yeah. And then he knocks Riker out by throwing him into a glass table, which... Okay, fine, whatever. You know, Anyways. I, uh, <laughs> Riker's taking quite a beating here. He's taking a beating here. Yeah, so then on Earth, they drink some Andonian tea while they wait for Riker, and they toast the Horatio. They say it's such a tragedy. And Picard is like, oh, yeah, speaking of the Horatio, and he's like super suspicious. He's like, um, anyone know why that ship like was destroyed? And they say it was an implosion due to the extreme negligence of the captain. Which I think is just a total dig at Picard. Yeah. Like now they're insulting his they're friend. They're just like, right, well, we don't like your friend and we killed him. We killed your friend. Basically, that's what they're saying. Yeah. Like, your friend was was a bad captain. And like, so Picard is like super suspicious now. Mm-hmm. LaForge and Worf are running to Quinn's quarters. I guess that constitutes security. Yeah. Now that we don't have Yar in charge of security, we just got... LaForge. Worf's like, oh yeah, I, I guess we didn't train any new security people and no one's on duty right now. So just grab LaForge. <laughs> I think they were out of yellow uniforms. They were like, we don't have <laughs> a security fitted, yeah. team right now because we're out of yellow. We need we only want red in this episode. Quinn tells them that Riker slipped and hit his head and they're like, okay. Yeah. So they call Crusher and then Quinn wants to leave and LaForge is like, oh, I think you should wait till the doctor shows up. So Quinn just grabs LaForge and throws him right through the door of the quarters. And he like lands in the hallway. It's it's wild. And then he does something that bugs me. This happens every so often on Star Trek. I hate it when they refer to people by their species. I don't like it. Right. Well, he's not. I mean, this is, I guess it's this is him, him being an alien, yes. an evil alien. Yes. But, of course. It, but you're right. Yeah. It's yes. just like, it's just racist. Space it racist. Is. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, now Klingon, it's between you and me. And ugh, not cool. But then he beats Worf up too. And like yeah, Worf he also beats is up very Worf. strong. And that and he he's like really like getting him until he gets shot because Crusher showed up because they called her. LaForge called her. So Crusher shoots him several times with a phaser. It takes a lot to get him to go down. I thought it was a funny move because Crusher shows up and I imagine that in her head, she's like, why are all these men just punching this guy in the face? Well, I'm just, just going to shoot him. <laughs> so she just like shoots him. <laughs> why do, like, what, why what, do what these is... people think their fists are going to work? Yeah, just yeah. shoot the guy. Yeah. Like, thankfully, she came armed. I don't know if that's normal for a doctor either. Maybe because she knew there'd been a, pr- a prior security call. So that might be Maybe. procedure to bring a, to be armed. Maybe. But yeah. yeah. But she has to shoot him several times before before he goes down. They they switch to like uh, the sick bay. Yeah. And she does a retinal scan on Quinn to confirm whether or not it's actually Quinn. And it is. So yeah. that's even more confusing because that would have made things easier to be like, okay, what's well, a copy or a clone or something? No, it is him. It is him. And then she's examining him and notices there's this weird tendril protruding from the back of his neck. And it's all like twisting around and gross and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really unpleasant. Um, and Riker is also unconscious in sick bay at the moment right so they're both unconscious but quinn is like under one of those examining things that's also a bit of a restraint i think and then on earth uh admiral aaron says to picard what do you know about conspiracies and he says something which i think is actually 
kind of this actually connects to what we were talking about before that he says when machinations are real no one talks about them and when people suspect them they generally aren't real that's such good wisdom it's true and and even sometimes these machinations are not not actual conspiracies but just like problems sometimes they are not real and in plain sight but not talked about as much. Yes. Like, for example, again, going back to Texas, like how many women, how many racialized people, how many people who are like tend to be marginalized have been warning for years that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned, but they weren't taken seriously by people in power or by people who actually have the, the privilege and the power to do something about it. Uh, and then it was. And then it was. Or how often have we been talking about, like, we shouldn't have a billionaire class. Right. Because they have too much power. And then people come forward and they're like, billionaires are bad. They might be putting microchips in her bodies. And you're like, no, no, no that's-, that's not what it is. <laughs> we, It's just that this is like an extreme power injustice. And yeah. we've been saying it forever. But when it's when it's real, people don't they don't get as much attention as when they're fake. Because like we talked about, like the fake ones are more... More fun. They're more fun. Yeah, it's more fun to think that there's lizard people trying to take over the government. Exactly. Remick calls them for dinner and Picard wants to contact Riker first and Crusher tells Picard what happens and says that there's a parasitic being and we see a screenshot of it like inside of Quinn's neck and we can see the the crustacean yeah. image of it like in his neck and its tail is protruding out of his neck and that's how it breathes I suppose while it's inside yeah, his body because even said. though it's a crustacean it needs to breathe air or whatever so that's fine um, and <laughs> Crusher thinks that the parasite stimulates adrenal glands which makes them strong I still don't think that would let you take a kick to the face but I don't know but Picard is like <laughs> I don't need the science I don't need the details right, right yeah. now just tell me like what can we take it out yeah and- she's like she's totally nerding out yeah. about this right now she's, she's like, like it's really cool discovered. actually <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> He's like, no, but I need the tactical advice. At yeah, the moment. what do I do? Unfortunately, she doesn't think she can remove it without killing the person. Right. And Crusher tells Picard that, like, because she knows she just did this experiment herself. Yeah. The phaser set to stun won't work. It has to be set to kill. And he's like, well, I it was it was almost like a Boromir Lord of the Rings. Like, one does not simply beam down to Starfleet headquarters <laughs> with a phaser. <laughs> But yeah, because that would be super suspicious. Yeah, basically, he's like, you don't, you don't beam down to Starfleet headquarters armed. Like that's not. Yeah. So she's just like, okay, well, try not to get hurt. I guess. Yeah. So and and then we get this Riker. really creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because we don't know what happened to the other creature yet, do we? No. The other crustacean that was in the case, we don't know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Riker just kind of like grabs Crusher by the shoulder, and then it cuts away to Picard entering dinner. So yeah. you're like, oh, what? Maybe Riker is infected. We don't know. Something. And I mean, if he's not, that's weird to just come up beside behind someone and tap them on the shoulder and not be like, hey, Crusher. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like, hey, I'm awake now. Yeah. And just like walk yeah, really quietly like across bit of the a, room. I mean, this is definitely <laughs> early Trek where it's like, and it, it happens, I, I don't know, I've seen it on a variety of shows where it's like, they want to... They want to make the audience a little suspicious of one character, so they make that character do something so uncharacteristically creepy. Like, suspicious. Yeah. yeah. It's-, <laughs> it's like Among Us, the video game, yeah. but in, like, yeah, in this form. Super. Um, so Picard enters dinner. I like your note here about this, that it's COVID-friendly seating. They're all sitting so far away from each other. <laughs> they all have yeah. their own table. They all have their own little table. And and so this is when, like, if you had any doubt that something weird is going on, I guess this is the point, too, because they open the container <laughs> 
And it's a whole bunch of mealworms. And I remember like as a kid yeah. watching this episode and I couldn't figure out, I'm like, is that supposed to be weird? Or like in the Federation, we're just cool eating all kinds of food from different cultures and societies. Yeah. So maybe they're like, we just wanted to eat mealworms today. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. But clearly Picard is disgusted. He like pushes it back away from himself. And I think it's supposed to say, no, they are choosing to eat this because they are... They are alien themselves. They've been taken over by these yeah, creatures. Yeah, I have a, a brief story about this scene. Oh, please. When yeah. I was in uh, second year university, I was uh, I lived with um, some people, someone who had a, a television. So I was in the living room watching this. and uh, Yeah, because not everyone had one. Yeah, we didn't all have TVs and we couldn't always no. watch it on our computers. There was no Netflix back then. So oh my God. I was I was sitting in the living room watching this and uh, Matt, you will know what uh, what my place was like because you lived in a similar place in residence. But it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the living room and the kitchen were like one big room. Yes. And so I was watching it and one of my housemates and uh, her boyfriend at the time were like making a meal or something. And she was getting <laughs> so annoyed at me that I wasn't changing the channel. While oh, because of the gross eat. worms. Because they're eating worms. And she's like, do we have to watch this right now? And I'm like, uh, it's Star Trek. We have to watch it whenever we catch yes, we it do. on TV. Yes. Can't watch it on demand. So Because remember, the DVDs were so expensive. They were, yeah. There was like $100 yeah. a season or something. Yeah, it was it was, it was kind of outlandishly expensive. So Riker enters. Yeah, well, Picard tries to back away first. He like gets up and right. like walks and he does not turn his back on them. He faces them and walks to he the faced, door. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. Good point. Yeah. yeah, they say don't turn your back. Yeah. Um, but then when he when the door opens, Riker's standing behind him, also menacingly. Yeah. And then says, you're not going anywhere. And, like puts his hand right on Picard and like stops him from leaving. And now you're like, oh, no, yeah. Riker has been compromised. Yeah. And then Admiral Aaron like looks at Riker and he says, you were meant for the doctor, which I think was like a, a nice... Kind of callback to the you got to get the the cat gotta you got to get, get the, doctor. the doctor so that they won't mm-hmm. they'll they'll cover for anyone who's acting weird and then he checks and and looks and sees that yeah there is a little tail sticking out of Riker's neck and then Captain Scott Trila Scott from the beginning she enters basically she's also taken over yeah so the meeting at Ditalix B was a setup so rather than going and chasing after the Enterprise they got the Enterprise to come to Earth. So that they would be able to infect you know, the doctor, and is that what happened? I wasn't sure after that. Like when when Trila Scott walks in, I didn't know if she when she shows up at the beginning meeting in Ditalix B, has she already been taken over then? That was my impression because the one of the admirals, I forget which one, one of them says something about like, see how clever we are. We didn't want to chase oh, okay, after I you. That. We got you to come to us. So oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I was thinking like, yes, but then when. When they find the little gills sticking out of everyone's neck, and given how there's like none of the uniforms have collars, I guess I was like, how? I didn't know one <laughs> how, noticed this how, before. How did no one notice this? Yeah, everyone walking around with the thing sticking out of their yeah. necks. It's not very covert. I also think there it was sort of set up at the beginning to make us not trust Captain Ricks because he was the one right. who came out with the phaser, and he was like, "Watch your back, Picard." Watch your back. Yep. So it's like, oh no, it wasn't him. It was the human captain. All this time. Yeah. yeah. They have a plan that they're going to be the brain and the people are going to be the brawn. But when Picard gets his parasite, you know, these things will also be in control of the Enterprise. So they got, they're on their own, they're just these tiny little helpless crustaceans. But yeah. now they they have all this power because they're controlling the seat of power. Yeah. 
This is the test now of what's going to happen with Riker because Riker, they give him a bowl of these worms and he like kind of is like like kneading them with his hands <laughs> and then he reaches up to go put them into his mouth and then as he reaches toward his mouth, his other hand grabs a phaser and goes and he shoots across the table. Yeah. And he shoots this like random yellow shirt guy. Yeah. And then Scott. And then, yeah. And then and Picard gets a phaser from Trila Scott and, and Riker shoots her and then the parasite like crawls out of her mouth. It's really unpleasant to watch it's yeah like, it, like they kind of open her mouth and then the computer computer generated <laughs> cg thing crawls out of their face yeah aaron escapes savar tries to give a vulcan nerve pinch to Riker. yeah and then picard, picard saves him, him so yeah. he shoots him as he's like trying to go down and then they chase aaron down the hallway and they shoot him and a parasite crawls out of him as well they both shoot him in the back at like the same time yeah. it's dramatic and then the the parasite kind of crawls and they follow it to a room where Remick yeah. is like doing something at it. you don't know what it is but it's clearly like not good you can hear a noise too you hear like a and he, there's a map of the galaxy in yeah. front of him and you don't really know anything else besides yeah that. and so the parasite using the amazing 1980s cgi crawls to like Remick crawls up his arm, up his body, and into his mouth. It's gross. It's so it's gross. gross. And and it's bad CGI and gross. And then it, like his neck keeps bulging out as he's That was cool. Talking. That was a cool yeah. effect. I was trying to figure out how they were doing that. I'm like, how do they make his neck bulge out like that? Yeah. So, okay, are we... Okay, my belief is that when Remick and Quinn were aboard the Enterprise before, that Remick was Remick. That he was yeah, I, I agree with you. Because his behavior was so different then. But yeah. yeah, okay. And I I think they try to throw us off with Remick because you never imagine Remick being in control of anything. No. But now they shoot him. Yeah. His head, like the flesh melts. <laughs> it's like uncharacteristically graphic it's and so, visceral yeah, for Star like, Trek. Yeah, you see the skeleton, skeleton head. Yeah, it's like the flesh like melts off of his face and his head explodes. Yeah. And then this giant parasite thing which is a puppet i think <laughs> but basically like melts its way out of his chest and is screaming at them yeah and you think well it turns out remick is like the chief crustacean being thing it's not one of the little crustaceans it's like no it's kind of like an alien i think when the like the movie alien yeah yeah with like out. the chest it's a similar and stuff yeah when did, did that movie come out before this or after this oh yeah way before okay yeah so yeah it's derivative like 10 of that. Years. yeah oh yeah uh, yeah um and they shoot it but before they did that like remick was saying oh we we want a peaceful coexistence but he, he says it in a very menacing way he's like we only want peaceful coexistence and you're like i don't believe you based on yeah, your tone peace as in like submission yeah then back on the ship, Picard makes a log saying that Quinn is expected to make a full recovery and they don't know how many parasites there were, but it looks like these little crustaceans don't survive without the mother creature, which was the one in Remick. So yeah, that's good. Uh, Riker says it was Crusher's idea to make it look like he was uh, infected with the parasite. Mm -hmm. And Picard is like, yeah, no, that worked. I definitely believe that you were. Yeah. So it's a good thing Picard was unarmed, I guess. He might have shot Riker. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's a good thing he didn't have a phaser at all. <laughs> yeah. And Data thinks that Remick, and this is the ominous ending of the episode, Yeah. was aiming a signal at an unexplored sector of the galaxy, possibly a homing beacon. And you hear that sound again, that <laughs> signal, and it's like trailing off into space. Wouldn't that be... A great ending to season one. Yeah, if yeah, I would. 
I mean, it's certainly a lot more of a cliffhanger-esque and adventurous. Maybe I wonder if it like it was supposed to be. Yeah. Because the next episode seems so out of place as a finale. But we got one more episode before this season ends, and this would have been a great season finale. Although, well, nothing really comes of it, I don't think. Yeah, because plot twist, the, the the homing signal doesn't do anything. Yeah, we never. Like, spo- yeah, this is a bit of a spoiler, spoilers. but it's a non-spoiler because nothing happens. So, would the signal be going to like the aliens that are also in control of other things? Because on their own, they can't like go anywhere. Like if they get the signal, they're like, "We're just tiny little bugs. We we what do we what do you want us to do?" Well, they managed to get to Earth somehow. Yeah. So. I mean, it is a little like there is a kind of creepy uh, ending where where when Data says it, it could have been a homing beacon and everyone is like, I beg your pardon. And yeah. and like kind of considers the implications of I'm, my idea was that Remick was alerting the home world of these creatures to the Ooh. existence of Earth. So basically being like, this is where you should come. So it could be. You know, last time it was just one, but maybe there will be more mother creatures next time. Plot twist. Their home world is actually Pacifica. And that's why they <laughs> didn't want them going there the whole time. Yeah. They're crustaceans yeah. from the oceans of Pacifica. Yeah, we just want to swim. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. I don't know. I, I, I kind of like this episode. I think it's, it's a bit gross and parts of it are a bit obvious, but it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's like they, the creatures for being as covert and taking over so subvertly the entire like starfleet at the end don't seem very good about being covert no like even remick just kind of standing there and giving away the whole plot and then letting himself get shot like it doesn't really make any sense <laughs> i like that it connects to a previous episode i mm-hmm. and I, i've mentioned this before but i there i think there are more arcs in tng than i am currently aware of because i've never yes. watched it in order so i kind of like that that it's a bit of an arc it kind of ends here but yeah, I do. I do like the callback to to Quinn and Remick, and that we even get the same characters because like it would have been really easy to be like, I oh, remember when Admiral Quinn said this, but we never see them again. But I was like, oh, Remick, yeah. oh yeah, I am. He's in this one. I thought it was funny that they they don't make any attempt for diplomatic anything with no. this species. Like they when that thing comes out of Remick's body, like. Right, you see Riker looked at Picard for one second to be like, "How are we gonna?" And Picard's just like, "No, just we're shoots gonna, it." And then R- Riker's like, "Okay, I'm shooting yeah. too." Yeah, well, and it's that's funny because it's part of the log that uh, Picard makes where he's like, "You know, it's sad when our our whole mm-hmm. purpose is to seek out new life, and then we found some and destroyed it. We blew it up." <laughs> so, so he's sad about it, but in the moment, he was like, "Well, this is what we're doing." That's, yeah, I mean, they were parasitic beings trying to take over. Is what you're gonna do? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that was fun. It was. And to all of you, thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod, or you can send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com. And maybe tell us how you battle conspiracy theories in your life. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And hey, take your vitamins. (laughs) 